0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. We are glad that you are with us as we get started. A friendly reminder that nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official statement of doctrine or belief of any particular school, church, or calling body. We are not affiliated with any particular school, church, or calling body, and that everything we say here is simply the belief or opinion of the man who states it and nothing more. Let's get started with the show. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Steinberg, son of a Ken and father of five sons. Each weekday on the Christ for Disciples podcast, I apply God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and whatever else. ChristForDisciples.com gentlemen we got an interview today with mr james hein chair number two pastor james hein i'm sorry <laughs> and in the second chair three, we got juan what's up juan hey how's it going it's going pretty good uh, oh man it's good just woke up from my nap so <laughs> ready to roll and nice uh, welcome pastor hein how you doing thanks doing really well appreciate you guys having me on awesome so uh pastor hein we'll jump right into it um why don't you tell us who you are what you do
1: um, my name is James Hine. I serve as the lead pastor at St. Marcus Lutheran Church on North Avenue, in Milwaukee. And I've been here for about five years. I've been a pastor for maybe 12 years. I uh, started out assigned to uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and uh, took a call here five years ago to serve as lead pastor. And I've, um, you know, talking with you guys today, because I've always uh, been thinking through and trying to implement uh like kind of cultural engagement using modern, uh, technology. And, uh, I think the church is one of the slowest organizations to embrace things like modern tech. Um, but trying to think, how do you do discipling? How do you do, especially, you know, discipling of men, um, and how do you engage with culture in a way that's winsome and doesn't actually like, uh, that builds bridges, doesn't like burn bridges.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like the, I like where you're coming from there. Actually. Um, I think, COVID has even put more pressure on that um as well. I maybe not so much at this point in the game, I guess, but early on, I remember thinking to myself, there's more I think there's more scriptural resources or more more resources to help people meet Jesus online right now than there ever have been before. <laughs> yeah. And uh like right away I was like that that was already in my mind. I know it was on other people's minds too, this idea of like the Lord is COVID hasn't even arrived yet and the Lord is already blessing Blessing with all this super cool innovative work going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's the, there was a, a little bit of a gap between the, you know, I think the, uh, one of the podcasts I listened to says that um, the internet is the largest uh, information shift in the past 500 years. In other words, since the printing press. And as we know, you know, shortly after the printing press, a matter of, it took several decades, but after the printing press came, uh, the Reformation came. And the Reformation really wasn't possible without the technology of the printing press. And I think the church is now, you know, are 25 years, 30 years into the internet. And I don't think we fully figured out the power of leveraging that technology for gospel proclamation. And I think once we do, there's going to be some some type of reformation that will take place. What do you think we're missing out on by not using the internet well? Um, I, I think it's... I would liken it a little bit to so like when the apostle Paul did mission work, um, he, the specific example that comes to mind, I think the best biblical example of evangelizing a, in the modern world is what the apostle Paul does in Athens at Mars Hill. So it's Acts 17 and he goes to the marketplace. Um, he's talking with um, a It's a combination of a pagan religious and kind of secular philosophy, humanistic philosophy people. And he's presenting some intriguing ideas. They ask to hear more from him. Uh, They invite him to this meeting of the Areopagus. And he uh, then presents, you know, from the point of talking about an altar to an unknown God to talking about the resurrection of Jesus as the one true God, the God that they know is out there, but they're not fully embracing yet. Um, he, he takes them from where they're at in a secular society to where they should be in a resurrected savior, but he is, is doing it in real time in the marketplace. And I think, I mean, just look at, I mean, literally the marketplace has moved online in the past, uh, 20 years. We don't have Toys R Us. We don't have Blockbuster. We don't have Sears anymore. We don't have Virgin Records. Why? Because everything has shifted. Uh, online, one one might be too young to even remember what some of those were. Uh, <laughs> but like you know, I worked at a video store for seven years uh, after high school and into college. Um, there's a generation of people who don't know what a video store is because Netflix and Hulu and uh, Apple TV and Amazon Prime, right? And so you have to ask yourself: Does the modern does the church? Uh, that exists in America today, does it look more like the big box distribution centers of the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s? uh, Or does it function more like the Amazon um, or Netflix or whatever? And very clearly society is moving that direction. And I think any church that just tries to be a big box distribution center of spiritual commodities is going to go the way of Toys R Us. Um, if If it doesn't kind of figure out how to use this tool of technology, you know
0: yeah, yeah, that's well said um when you say uh like big box church
1: um yeah. wh- what do you mean by that I think so like when stores had hours of were open from nine a nine a m to seven p m or something like that, and you need to come and consume our commodities when we are available to be open and maybe they're open five or six or seven days a week or whatever, um, the convenience, you know, just the, I, the sheer convenience of it, um, when Amazon came, you know, and you're able to purchase stuff 24 hours a day, you're able to get your commodities in less than two days uh, at a reasonable price. And um, not, not to mention the fact that people, you know, this past year has shown us everybody, you can hold all your business meetings online. Uh, There is really not a whole lot to be gained. I'm not saying I'd be the first to say that there is an importance of like incarnational ministry. Like you have to be with people in person. But there's a lot of things that you can do online and it's just as good. And content distribution is one of those things. So if you're if church, if all church is is just content distribution, like music as a commodity and messages as a commodity and teaching as a commodity. You can do all that online. Now, the reality is church is more than that. Um, like I said, it's a uh, it's relational. And so you have to be highly relational. But um, I think, again, I think a lot of times for a long time in the 20th century, people looked at church as it's open for business on the weekend for a couple hours. And the church of the future, like very clearly has to be a 24 seven thing, just like any other entity living entity today has to be a 24-7 thing yeah it's interesting um do hmm do we
0: like do our churches uh, i I think we're kind of leaning in this direction with the conversation but uh um do our churches lean do, <laughs> come like more up with my thoughts here yeah, so we have a lot of tradition <laughs> super I'm traditional. Much, <laughs> no, I'm just processing as we go here. Um so we have a lot of really traditional churches that do really traditional ministry really really well. Um and yes. some that don't, but a lot that do really well. Um Yeah. And we also have some that maybe lean too far in the direction you're talking about where it's just commodity on demand, right? Um yep. so how do we bridge the gap of like real true relationships? Um, which yeah. does have a face to face component component like you touched on um, yeah. with you know utilizing to the full extent that we can um, the world of technology and the internet and such things
1: yeah, so i you know I think you can use tech you can use technology to leverage relationships to uh, facilitate relationships, but it can't substitute for relationships. So somebody who is only watching something online or on TV or interacting in a chat room is never going to experience the fullness of the body of Christ. Uh, for that matter, the sacraments are a very clear example of something that can't be substitute. Like there has to, there's a touch attached to it and there's a physicality and a a tangibility attached to it. Um, so like there has to be in person for that matter. Um, you know, I think of the end of Ephesians 2, where the Apostle Paul talks about the church the, the church being uh, no longer strangers and aliens, but members of the same nation, members of the same household, and the building blocks of the temple of God. And his point is that, like, they're supposed to be built into one another and close to one another. And that's both physical proximity as part of that, uh, but it's like relational proximity. Is it possible to have... an entire relationship with somebody online. Um, you know, I think we're still figuring that out, but I think for instance, like if somebody said marriage, could you do a marriage entirely online? I think most people would agree. You probably couldn't, you know, so (laughs) you could, but that said, my wife, for instance, is in clinicals right now for a doctorate program and she's in Madison and she's got to be there about four days a week. And so we get to talk and FaceTime and text all day. We text all day long and we, um, you know, we do a FaceTime in the evening. And so like, is our relationship better because we're utilizing technology like that? Absolutely. So it's, it's that it doesn't substitute for the relationship, but it can be used to support the relationship. And I think the church is trying to figure out what can and what cannot be substituted Um, you know, what makes, what makes church ministry more efficient? And I think doing things like recording content and putting it online, whether it's a a podcast or a blog or a sermon or, you know, a class, uh, I think there's the or it's just like books. You can learn lots of content without it being immediately relational, but you nonetheless still have to have relationships in order for it to be a full thing. Right. And you mentioned, you know, like, uh,
0: um, recording your stuff and putting it online and, and things like that. Um, and yeah. we'll talk, like, we're going to talk about your blog, uh, in a, in a minute or two here, but what do you think are like the first, like if a church, um, is looking to start moving in that direction recognizes that they need an online presence, what are the like easy, you know, low hanging fruit ways to get started with that?
1: Yeah, I think, I, I think the the, the thing that churches usually structure their, discipleship around is the regular weekly messaging, you know, the sermon content. So I think that's the first thing that you grab. And it's, it's so cheap and easy to do today. None of us is anybody who can send an email, anybody who can navigate a website is capable of doing it. Uh, You already have the equipment, you have equipment on your phone, you have equipment on your computer. Like there's just there's just no excuse not to. And what it does then is it uh, makes it Um, available in an asynchronous kind of way. So somebody who's sick that weekend, somebody who is homebound, uh, somebody who is traveling for work, nobody has to miss anything. Everybody can stay, whether they're physically there or not. And the ideal I think is to be physically there. But even if they're not there, um, they can stay lock and step with where the church is at and you can continue to like walk together in that. And um, that's a really powerful Kind of thing. So I would say start with your your messaging on the weekend. Um, there's other there's other options along the way there too, but that's where I would start.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the um, lead a horse to water idea, right? Like give people the opportunity um, yep. to grasp onto what you're doing
1: and and be involved, whether they can be in person or not. I like yep. that. We've had, by the way, over the course of the past year. So COVID, uh, I'm sure you've probably heard a lot of the stuff on this too, but all the research out there seems to suggest that COVID didn't like force change, but it accelerated change. And so where society was already going five to 10 years from now, it just made it happen faster. And, and crisis always produces innovation. So like in war times, there's all, usually some kind of technological boom, uh, right? So um, I think that COVID is, we were already heading in the direction of having more people work from home, uh, more meetings online and cutting down on, you know, travel time. Um, We were already heading in a lot of those, that we're already heading that direction. Um, COVID just accelerated that and that's okay. And I think it's important for Christians to embrace that and to, for Lutherans for that matter, to understand it's in the history of our DNA that when we embrace technology, uh, really big things happened because yeah. our namesake uh, was willing to uh, embrace those concepts and it changed the world, you know? Yeah. Well,
0: and and um, it takes a little less personal cost than Luther had, um, but there's definitely been, you know, the, like I think a lot of times we get nervous about jumping into that because there's so much risk. There is risk involved. Um, but sure. like you said, the namesake literally laid it on the line um, and uh, changed history, which is a cool legacy to have.
1: Yeah. Yes. Lutherans should absolutely be people who um, are not foolish with technology, but willing to embrace the means that God gives. In fact, one of the examples that I'll sometimes use is when Jesus teaches, um, he's teaching a crowd on the Sea of Galilee and everybody crowds around him and nobody can hear because there's just too many of them. And so what does he do? He actually goes out. This is when he's calling his disciples. And he goes out into a boat, into Peter's boat, and he pushes off into the sea a little bit. And, you know, he's maybe 100, you know, 100 feet away from the coast. But because of the, way, uh, the the amphitheater surrounding of the Sea of Galilee, because water uh, carries sound well, and because he's out in that boat, more people can hear him. So actually, by moving away from people a little bit, he was able to broadcast the gospel to more people. And I think there's some lesson in there about the usage of technology. Like Jesus says, okay, I want to get this message to more, um, because they'll benefit from it. What are the resources and the technology I have available to me? And that's what he did, you know? So there's, there's biblical precedent
2: for it too. That's, that's an awesome point. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit more, but before I, I say something else, uh, One of the things that jumped into my mind right away as soon as you said how COVID accelerated the process of technology involvement in churches was the Mm -hmm. the usage of uh, uh, online communion. And I Mm -hmm. wonder what your thoughts are on that that and how that like, because you said that you, we should not like overestimate the power of technology, but we should also like... um, put ahead relationships in person rather than technological relationships. And the fact that some churches today are using online communion as some method Mm -hmm. of like, you know, just becoming one body in Christ. I wonder how, Mm -hmm. how you would argue for that.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. It's, it's, I, I think online. So, Let me just say what my experience has been in the past year, because I've learned some things that I was really against, I think, in the past. Um, (laughs) I was really slow, actually, to put our stuff up online in video, like we always did podcasts. But um, I was slow to put video up because I thought my I think my fear was if you create a path of least resistance, uh, human nature is going to go least resistant. So if I don't have to get out of bed and show up at a place on time for something, I won't. And then people will sort of like regress. And I think that's a fear for a lot of pastors and a lot of churches. Um, what I've come to discover though, is that, okay, number one, it's, you know, operating out of fear versus faith isn't usually the best posture. Uh, <laughs> number two, the, what it does is it opens a door wider and, you know, as gospel ministers, having our doors open as wide as possible is is a good thing. Now, does that mean that some people can back out slowly? Yeah, they can. Some people could theoretically say, well, I could show up in person, but it would be easier if I, you know, I could do this thing. Uh, I could go to this sporting event and then I'll just watch church later or something like that. You know, it does it does potentially condition that. But what it also does is it just gets your stuff out there more online and it makes it more available to more people. And we had so many people who checked in with services with us that, um, you know, I, I thought the net gain was better than what my fears were suggesting before. Now, to what extent can we do things like community online? Uh, it it can be done for sure. It can be done. In fact, one of the things that amazed me was we do these things called growth groups. So small group ministry, and we have about 15 of them and um, that regularly meet during four seasons during the year uh, every week. And the one group that never this past year that never met in person, but only met exclusively online was our oldest growth group. So it was a group where everybody was over 60 years old and up to, I think like early eighties and all of them met. So it was about 12 of them that met weekly on zoom. And so like number that, that tells us that they're capable of the technology. <laughs> but it also, you know, what was also kind of cool is they met even on weeks when we didn't have, when we didn't schedule a growth group, like we took a break for a couple of weeks, they enjoyed it so much that they would get together and you know, like grab coffee and have a meeting anyway. That's awesome. And uh, so like the idea that um, the community can't, like the idea that you can foster relationships and foster community on online and it be totally successful is completely true to me. Um, Now I did, there are other elements. Um, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but um, again, the sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion. those have to, there's, there's a physical quality to them. Now there you can get into the debate of whether or not a, like a a family could just commune with themselves at home. And I think that's a legitimate conversation too. Uh, or could a family baptize at home? That's something that can be done too. So these are, we're like, as a church, we're in the complete infancy of trying to understand, like thinking this through. And I think we'll have a better handle on it five, 10 years from now, but it's at least, it's very clearly the direction the world is going. It's not an evil direction. It's just a technological direction. So it's it's neutral. So we shouldn't demonize it. And if it has the capacity to better facilitate relationships in the community, if it has the capacity to spread the gospel to more people and more people will check into an online service than would, I, you know, I know some people that would never set foot in our physical church sanctuary space because they just have too much. Um, background angst they have too many they've had too many incidents they have too many whatever but they will check in online because that's safe you know and so like that to me is all it's the right direction to go and um, so I I think rather than fighting it we just kind of embrace it yeah the the imagery
0: popping into my mind as you say that is a comparison between you know like fishing with a line and lure versus fishing with a net you know Like if you have the opportunity to cast a net and your goal is to catch fish, cast the net, man. Like You can do some pretty great fishing with a line and a lure,
1: but uh, if you can cast the net, do it. Yeah. Don't, don't get, yeah. What I hope that doesn't happen in the years to come is we get hung up on neutral methodology because we have, you know, some of us are afraid, like, honestly, anytime you get like a new phone or a new, tech device. We all feel kind of stupid. And (laughs) definitely, I'm sympathetic to people uh, a generation or two generations older than me that are sometimes trying to make, I think, trying to make arguments against technology, not because they actually think anything's wrong with it, even though they might try to position it that way, but because they're a little bit afraid of it and they feel vulnerable trying to navigate it. And I'm definitely sympathetic to that, uh, but it's still not a reason not to embrace it.
2: I think no. that, um, the core idea that you're getting at, it's, it's the, it's getting out of your comfort zone ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I would even yeah. say that a lot of people today and like almost everybody doesn't like to do that just because we don't like to feel in a position of vulnerability, which is yes. a mistake for sure as Christians, cause you know, God calls us to be vulnerable and just serve one another. But, um, yeah. what, what are some of the. Like what steps can, can you give, or what what encouragement would you give to somebody who's like trying to understand more about this type of, this type of concepts and just, I don't know, like you said, embrace it. Like what, what, what encouragements would you give to somebody like that?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, you start with, if we can start with, well, let me put it like this. Um, I have, (laughs) I, I have been surprised at times, maybe not surprised, but it's interesting to me how many different times I've been in meetings and conversations where I feel like people are trying to troubleshoot problems. And I'm like, well, you know, we're Lutherans. And what Lutherans do first is we don't troubleshoot. We, we repent, you know, like that's the first of the 95 theses. That's our basic posture. And it's a posture of humility. And it's a posture that says, man, I, I, uh, have made so many mistakes my flesh has wrong instincts, and I'm, I'm probably going to get things wrong in the future, but I'm going to embrace what I know to be true by God's word, and I'm going to move according to what my conscience and the Spirit's prompting seems to suggest. And I think with that in mind, you know, there's a humility that says, okay, am I going to look stupid? Am I going to fail? Am I going to, you know, yes, yes, of course you are. And for that matter, even if you do everything right, as Jesus did, the world's still going to think you're an idiot sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, if it it crucifies our Savior, of course, it's going to. So we should just have absolutely no ego and be willing to say, uh, what does it mean to be all things to all people? A Jew to the Jews, a Greek to the Greeks, uh, weak to the weak conscience, strong to the strong conscience, so that by all possible means we might save some. You know, and like I should be willing, like that Paul's attitude of willingness to flex and willing to put himself out there um, just for the hopes of saving one is such a good mentality. It's so uncomfortable, but so healthy, you know? So I think where I would start is where I try to get myself to start is repent and say, okay, what am I doing? potentially uh that's throwing an obstacle in the way of somebody else and jesus help me you know remove that obstacle if it's if it's there yeah um so
0: you want to touch a little bit on vulnerability um and that really struck a chord with me the idea of just kind of putting your stuff out there and and uh, saying hey this is who i am this is what i believe and you know kind of yeah. an almost an attitude of you know take it or leave it this is this is where we're at here um yeah. and uh uh, well, I so we've talked a lot about like professional ministry, if you will. Um, yeah. Uh, but all three of us do quite a bit of personal ministry, like that's separate from our vocation, or yeah, um, as well. So, uh, you want to talk a little bit about your blog.
1: Yeah. So actually, <laughs> that was a little rough. The, <laughs> the interesting thing is, so I honestly have not been blogging much in the past year or so. And there's, there's a reason for that. I'll explain that. But I, I got into blogging really in 2009. And so, so I was um, in, ordained and installed in 2008. Um, so the second half of 2008. And I went to a church where there were three pastors. I was one of three pastors. And I was preaching at most only once every three weekends. And... You know, I think I was a little bit not bitter. Bitter is not the right word. I was a little like just I thought like I think I envisioned myself going to like more of a mission setting where I was doing more, certainly preaching more kind of thing. And um, there was a there was a point and I remember going to a conference and listening to something. There was a point where I thought to myself, rather than just be upset that I'm not like preaching more or whatever, why not look? There's alternate ways for creative outlets. There's alternate ways to do that. Um, and so I started blogging and what I found was within literally like a matter of six, uh, months, you know, I, people were reading my stuff at a rate that was like 20 times what I was 20 times the number of people that I was preaching to, you know? So like if I was preaching on a weekend, we had maybe 500 people, but, um, I, I could write something and share it online. And, you know, if other people shared it, et cetera, like it was, re- it was reaching so many more people. And I was like, wait a second, why would I, why would I lock myself into this one framework of thinking like this is the only way to disseminate information and thought and, mm-hmm. and um, and what the angle that I took with it was, Uh, essentially taking cultural issues that are presented in the news and trying to view them through a lens of uh, the gospel and a biblical worldview, as opposed to the constant polarized political worldview that you get the news through everywhere else, you know, just saying like, okay, what, what principles in the Bible shape my thinking on this particular cultural topic? So uh, ones that were big were when, um, when the amendment for same sex marriage came out or Robin Williams suicide or um, Bruce Jenner and uh, gender stuff. Um, like I was taking the exact same content that the news outlets were using, but then I was just saying, okay, and here's if you're if you're process, running this through the filter of what does God's word say, here's probably how you should be thinking about it. And uh, that seemed to really resonate with people. And so it was super f- fruitful, really enjoyable. I love doing it. It was one of like my favorite things to do, and I did it really consistently uh, for about ten years. And every year, year over year, it just kept you know growing and growing. And I just stuck to it. And I had again, I had the time to do it because we had a staff of pastors that I really appreciated. And I didn't, I didn't wasn't spending twenty hours every week prepping for sermons. You know, I had some of that time available to
0: me Uh, as we're kind of talking about what you're putting out there, it was striking me um, that, that content you're producing is likely a little bit different Mm -hmm. or even maybe vastly different, depending on how you do your sermon. uh, Like how you decide what
1: you're preaching on Um, probably
0: very different from the content. I mean, usually
1: at least the way that we're taught to preach usually you build your sermons up like expository preaching Is you build your sermons up from a specific text. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of pastors build it up even from texts that are sort of pre-chosen for you via the, uh, the lectionary, you know, the scheduled readings. Um, the pot, my, my blogging was a little bit more of, I guess somewhere in the realm of like a topical sermon, which is, okay, you're taking a specific topic. So for instance, Um, the Bruce Jenner one was about essentially gender, like God's conception of gender. Um, the Robin Williams one was, okay, what does the Bible actually say or not say about suicide? You know, but it's taking that topic and saying, okay, here's all the different sections of scripture that address it. Um, and here's where if you had, uh, just a, if you just reflected on it from the flesh, you might come to either this conclusion or that conclusion on either ends of the spectrum. But the Bible gives you a really kind of nuanced, narrow, middle way to address a lot of these topics. And so I, I guess that would be a little bit of the distinction is, you know, when I preach, it's usually like, okay, so here's the text, wherever it leads me, that's where we're going to go. Whereas the blogging was, okay, so here's a cultural topic. What is all the different things that the Bible has to say about it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. How do you decide which, because there's so many topical concepts to attack, right? The world is yeah. constantly, um, well, the war, the, the world's at war with what we believe. So yeah. there's always something to talk about. How do you determine which things you're going to talk
1: about and maybe which ones you won't? Yeah, so it was usually just whatever people seem to care about the most. And so it'd be either things that are constantly coming up in a news feed or things that people kept either sending to me or sharing with me or asking me about Um, so like as time goes on and you do more counseling and you talk with more people, like there's these recurring themes that continue to build up or it's, there's recurring, like, um, cultural, like a lot of Christians that, you know, but they have this misunderstanding that is like very clearly shaped by culture, even though they don't realize it's non-biblical. Um, there's, I mean, a bunch of different examples of that, but the, it would, it would be from just talking with people, reading, reading is the biggest thing I would say I've tried, I've tried, not always been successful. Um, but to like, my mind gets like stagnant if I'm not reading like a good hour a day or so. And so I've always tried to just push myself to just keep reading. And that for whatever reason seems to like till the soil and keep things fresh and give me ideas.
2: Yeah, you, you keep it relevant, which is ultimately what attracts people's attention. Yeah. Because yeah. if you, like what we we're talking about with the sermons, there's it, just, like you said, it's a narrow pathway that you that you have to talk about. Mm-hmm. But if you just give them something that they're already used to, they're listening to just now, then they'll be more inclined to learn more about it. I, I wonder what's like the, the, what are some of the challenges that, because I've never blogged before mm-hmm. and I don't know how hard it can be, but like, what's like the biggest challenge that you face as mm-hmm. a blogger? I think for me, the
1: the temptation, the, let me just put it in terms of temptations, like the temptations that were hardest for me were uh, probably two or three of them. It was one, when somebody disagrees with you or criticizes you, uh, how do you respond in a balanced way? where you can accept, and maybe they're mostly wrong, but not completely wrong, you know, like maybe they're 95% wrong and unfair in their criticism, but they're 5% right. How do you not fight fire with fire? Um, How do you stay humble and maybe even accept and learn from the 5% in which they're actually right? Because anytime you put something out there publicly, it makes you a little bit vulnerable. And, you know, I I do I do a lot of stuff on YouTube now and literally I have, I don't know who it is because YouTube doesn't track like this, uh, but there's somebody who literally goes and looks at all my content and gives me a thumbs down on anything that my voice or face pops up on. It's like, it doesn't, it's so consistently one that it's like, it can't, be, it can't be that just one random person doesn't like my content every time. Uh, it's gotta be somebody who's literally following me around and, you know, trolling that way, but like dealing with that and saying, uh, my righteous, Jesus is my righteousness. My righteousness is not who likes me or who accepts me or who, um, you know, uh, John, John the Baptist got the ultimate thumbs down on his ministry, uh, when he got beheaded. And it's like, yep. When you, when you, Uh, bring truth from God, sometimes people aren't going to like that. Now, the reality is sometimes people aren't going to like you, not because you're so truthful from God, but because you are being kind of a jerk and you have to be able to separate those things too. Like, was, do they dislike me because I'm being so, um, you know, uh, truthful or do they dislike me because I said it in an unloving kind of way? And discerning that is a challenge. Um, I think not getting wrapped up in Uh, so like the things in life that you count are the things that are probably most likely to become like your idols. So like if you're constantly counting calories and pounds, uh, you probably have a little bit of an image issue. If you're constantly counting how much money you have in the bank, uh, you probably have a bit of a, you know, financial idol. If you're constantly counting your, you know, if you're obsessed with your scores on school, um, you maybe have a little bit of a, um idle there. But I think for pastors and ministers and um, anybody who's putting, you know, whatever, how many seats you have in the pew or how many seats are filled in the pew or whatever. But when you venture into social media, it's like right there in front of everybody. Like they put a ticker on everything. It's so bizarre to me that social media um, doesn't allow you just to put stuff out there. There's always some kind of approval button. So it doesn't matter if you're on YouTube Mm. and there's a like or dislike. It doesn't matter if you're on Instagram and you can love something or on Facebook and you can, you know, there's, they have a variety of motive. but why do they have to put a evaluation button? Um, It's like humanity is constantly searching for this verdict. Unless you already are secure in the verdict that you have, that it doesn't matter what anybody else says because of Jesus Christ, God loves, accepts, and blesses me. um, You're probably not ready to be on social media. And uh, because (laughs) that's, that constant judgment from the world will just kill you, you know, and you won't, you won't, you're, even if you're putting out good content, you won't react to it. You won't react to other people's responses. Well, you know, and you'll constantly be checking and your, your self-esteem will rise and fall with the popularity of the content and all that stuff, you know? Right. Um. So talking about
0: relevant and hot button issues. um, There's obviously always going to be, you could be spot on speaking the inspired word of God and it would still be people backlashing at you. Right. Um, Have there been any that you like considered and then didn't talk about? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like any that you were thinking, man, I really should talk about this, but I'm not going to.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) There's, yeah, there's, there's been some along the way. Um, I, in for a variety of different issues. So I've, I've also written for other groups at times. Um, So like I, I um, blogged and did some content for a couple other like kind of parachurch ministries. And one of the things that became clear to me at one point was I feel like I I'm pulling my punches a little bit when I think my content is like somebody else has to Um, like if I put something out there and somebody doesn't like it, somebody else has to absorb the, the consequence of that. And Mm -hmm. that made me super uncomfortable. Now to some extent that's inevitable. Like, so I'm a pastor of a church and, um, if I preach something and somebody from the community doesn't like it, somebody who's a member at my church is probably absorbing a little bit of that too. Like, so it's a little bit inevitable, but I also thought as long as I can put my content out there via my own blog or my own YouTube channel or my own whatever, then I don't have to ever feel like, i um, again, pulling punches isn't the right expression, but the, it, it's like, if somebody hates it, it's just on me, you know? And, uh, I was more comfortable with that concept. Now, as far as like topics that I have not addressed, I I think probably some people think I, I would be too harsh on like the existing Christian church. Um, and that, like, some things just aren't good enough. And it's like, why are, why are you so critical? Why are you so whatever? And it's like, um, I don't know, like, it doesn't seem odd to me that we would call each other to repentance. Uh, I'm not trying to be like, not being unfairly judgmental, but also acknowledging that progress can be made and repentance is the right posture and that sort of thing. So like the, the times that I talk about, the way the church currently is, I know I'm taking off some people along the way. <laughs> and, uh, it's, you know, it just kind of is what it is. And I'm willing to deal with that, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, and to kind of continue that theme, I, um, personally with this, I, I agreed. actually, I love the way you put it with pulling punches mm-hmm. and it might be a little bit, a mo- little bit more applicable to what maybe I'm doing than, than what you're doing online. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, like there were a few things that I found myself not like majorly under attack for, but it just kept coming up, mm-hmm. even from the theme of basically, who are you to talk about this, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. And so, and a lot of it was like personal stuff. So I figured at one point, and it terrified me and it turned out to not really be a big deal in the long run, but yeah. um, it uh, terrified me at the time. But I said, you know what? let's just put it all out there for the world to see yep. and uh, let them deal with it, you know? Yeah. And that turned out to be a huge blessing for me personally, because all of a sudden you have people coming through the woodwork and saying like, wow, man, I, I appreciate how boldly you said that. You know, I, I like that you share your struggles, that, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also in many ways um, almost eliminated, not eliminated the opportunity, but it, it really softens the blow. Um, with some of the crit in my experience, softens the blow with some of the criticism because you're looking and you're going, you know, Hey, Hey man, like I look how imperfect I am. yeah, You know, like I, I, this, do you really expect any better from me? Almost, you know, like, um, go ahead. And if you see me sinning, please look me in the eye and tell me to knock it off because I need it. That's the whole point behind this is that I need, I need to grow. I need to be better. Um, so
2: help me do it, you know? And that's one of the things that you, pastor, you hit really well in on one of your blogs on the the only way to become useful in the kingdom, how God uses broken people,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the more broken you are, the more that He's gonna use you. Yeah, and like every day, I'm able to see that more and more. Yeah, it's just yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, I one one example, one concrete example I do have that you know kind of put it out there, and I, I still think you know this is maybe eight, ten years later. I wonder exactly how. Um, I, I wrote something on gun control and, um, it like clearly there was this like violent reaction online, like to the, to the <laughs> point that, um, I had two different people end up writing district presidents asking to remove me from ministry. And I was <laughs> like, the, wow. you have got to be kidding me. And I was so honestly a little bit, I think I was angry and then I was a little heartbroken. Um, but what I came to understand is like, um, you know, could I have said something different? Yeah. You can always say something different. Um, could I have said something more humbly? Uh, I think that particular post that I made, I wasn't nearly as balanced as what, um, I could have been. And, and that's in part because I thought the Christian world is so kind of almost unanimously on one side of this issue um and so i at least so far as i can tell and statistically you know it seems to suggest that so i said i think i need to state the other side a little bit more clearly and uh furthermore i didn't tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do like i always want to be very careful to say if the bible does not say that and i can't point it to you chapter and verse you should not be listening to me you know like i i do not do not take my word uh take the word and then wrestle with yourself as to what the appropriate application is for you. But one of the things that I essentially just said is, you know, if, if theoretically, um, you know, you, we thought about this a little bit differently and, and we thought about it differently and could potentially save lives, wouldn't forfeiting some of our freedoms for the sake of saving lives, um, you know, wouldn't that be something we'd be willing to do? And, uh, you know, I didn't state it exactly like that, but it was just this massive storm of, uh, like constant flow of, of hate. And what I realized is I struck a nerve. And honestly, the, the more you uh, shine a light on some idols, and I'm not saying I'm not, by the way, I'm, <laughs> I am neither for nor against owning guns. Like, personally, <laughs> I have people in my family that do both. And I, you know, like, it's, I'm totally fine with either option. What I'm not okay with is Christians thinking, well, whatever I want, I get. Um, in other words, uh, Jesus gave his whole life for me and there's not a single thing in my life that is not worth sacrificing if it might glorify him, you know? And so that's, yeah. that's where I wanted to go with it. And I used Philippians too, as the premise for it. But again, the idea, my point is put yourself, I put myself out there. I probably overstated some things along the way, but in striking a nerve, again, calling people to repentance, John the Baptist got beheaded for it. Um And the more you, if you put yourself out there online, you're just, you're going to get some of that. It's inevitable. Yeah. So that's okay. The interesting thing also is I've had also had other people who have told me, who have written me like really nice notes saying, wow, I didn't realize there was anybody, uh, maybe in our church body who thought that way. And, um, thank you for having the guts to say that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, well, um, I was I was thinking about this over the weekend a little bit based on what somebody said in a sermon that I heard on Christmas Day or Christmas Day, Easter Sunday. Um, but there's a lot of Americans that seem to think that the most recent book of the Bible was written in 1789. You know, yeah. it's like <laughs> it's everything written by yes. Moses, Paul, the apostles, <laughs> and then also Thomas Jefferson. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. and we forget sometimes that we forget sometimes that while we are incredibly blessed to have those rights and freedoms. Um, And while the document even says God-given rights and freedoms, the scripture doesn't say that those are necessarily God-given rights and freedoms, and that Jesus himself lived under far more um, restrictive restrictions than (laughs) we do as Americans, too. Um, And that's a whole different conversation, but it, it it does come into the frame of reference when you start speaking the truth online without the cloud or, or attempting to do so without the cloud of, you know, Americanism behind you too. Yeah. Yep. Um, have you ever put anything out there that you, that you, uh, just decided like either to take down or that you regretted
1: putting out there? Um, you know, there was, (laughs) there was one or two things that I post. I was honestly, this is, so I use WordPress for blogging and, um, there was one or two times that I was going to post something and it wasn't in retrospect, it wasn't like bad or anything like that. I just thought it was a little bit, I was kind of pushing it because I wanted to crank something out that week. And I thought it was maybe kind of like, I don't know what the right word is like fluffy and like just doing it to doing it, to do it and go through the motions Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. people expect you to have something. So you're meeting a deadline and And there was two different occasions that I can think of where I tried then uploading something and uh, posting it and it didn't work. And whatever reason, like it just it didn't work. And the website was down or I tried to upload it and it like crashed or something. And both of those times when I look back, I'm like, well, that's okay. You know, like it wasn't, it, it def- not, definitely wasn't my best content. And um, maybe if it doesn't move the needle for anybody in terms of understanding the grace of God, then I'd rather not have my name attached to it anyways. And yeah, yeah. so even though I put probably a couple hours into each of them, it was like, eh, maybe God in his sovereign power sort of spared me on that a little bit. But other than that, no, yeah, not really.
0: Yeah, I I've only ever had two that I didn't post, and one of them was it was a girl. There was, was a girl I went on a date with, and uh, actually two dates with. And at the end of the second date, she looked me in the eye and said, "I like podcast Charlie a whole lot more than real life Charlie." And I went, "This is yep. this is weird on so many levels." Like I'm glad you enjoyed the podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this, and uh, the other one, the other one, so that was that one was probably a little too personal. I yeah. so I definitely did not put that one up there because <laughs> if she would have listened to it, she would have known it was her. <laughs> um, and then there was another one where um, similar to what you were kind of talking about before, there's a guy who owns a gym in Wisconsin who's a who's like a non-denominational pastor, and I just like, hey, he's Christian, he owns a gym. This guy must be awesome. I went out there and I put all this time in and interviewed him. And the man, I don't think, spoke a single word of truth hmm. for the entire hour and a half that I spoke to him. And I like, got all the way through the editing process, even put like a disclaimer on the front of it saying, like, hey, I don't believe what this guy believes. Mm-hmm. And got to the point where I was ready to hit you know, upload and thought, why am I uploading? Like, this is not yeah. the truth. Yeah. Why would I even put this out there for the world to hear? Why am I giving this guy a platform? Um, and, you know, there was there were so many moments along the way where I should have been like, you know, oh, this isn't this isn't good. And and what it kind of came down to was a both of them was a pride thing. Like this is what I got to do to be relevant. This is what I got to do to be yeah. you know. Or you know, you've you've insulted my integrity. Yeah. Like yeah, why do I care? Yeah, why do I care what you you know th- my savior and I gotta. Uh, I don't remember who said this to me once, but somebody said you've got an audience of one. Uh-huh. And that's the only audience that really matters. Yeah, got an audience of one. Yeah, yeah.
1: There, there's so the the I, I think that's. A really important thing for anybody who's again kind of navigating the putting stuff out there online thing is uh, there's that there's that temptation of developing. I mean, even social media we call them followers. How weird is that? Like for a, a, yeah. a secular yeah. thing to refer to it as followers. Like <laughs> I don't want any followers. I don't want any fans. I don't want you know like I don't I don't personally want any of that. I want to become lesser, and I want Jesus to become greater. And if I miscalculate the ad at all, you start to do some weird things and you start doing things like, yeah, cranking out content simply because you think it'll drive numbers or whatever. And that's, that's not ministry anymore. You yeah. Know? Um, one so of the th- being able to say no to those, those things is good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it takes a lot of wisdom to do
0: that. And wisdom is something you got to develop over time. It's not, it's not something that you're yeah. born with. Um, one of the right. things that, was really striking me as you were kind of talking a little bit um, and I guess in the kind of the conversation with Juan too, um, is this idea that um, no matter what we do, there's going to be somebody kind of naysaying or pointing fingers or telling us we're not qualified or whatever it might be. And to me that just rings of the story of Timothy, right? Um, Especially where Paul's saying Mm -hmm. things like, um, well, I mean, when he's speaking to him and saying, you know, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. um, But also, I think it's the second half of second Timothy where he's saying, you know, like I can't quote it. I wish I could, but essentially saying, let the whole world see you grow, like let them see you grow, let them see you progress. Um, and there's value in that. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, th- I think that there's a ton of value in young people just Finding a way to get their voice shared. I think Juan does an awesome job with that. And it's it's a simple and easy way to do it. I mean, it takes time, but just to get out on social media and do that. Um, For me, I love podcasts. And so the natural thing was to start a podcast, right? Um, Why did you settle on a blog? And did you ever face any pushback from, especially as a young pastor, very young pastor, um, deciding to take on this new Mm -hmm. technology?
1: Um, Do you ever face any pushback from that? Um, you know, I've gotten shockingly little pushback on it. Um, I have, it's brought me in contact with a bunch of people who have been like really kind and generous and what they, you know, what they've shared and, and some people that I probably would never have crossed paths with otherwise, which is neat. Um, I, ha- I didn't get much push pushback. Um, like I said, occasionally I would write something. And it would be like, well, no, that's, that's too strong of a take, or you're being too hard on the church or you're being too. And, um, you know, I I learned to expect that, accept that, um, receive, you know, if the rebuke was correct, receive that. Um, but not, not too much pushback again, 10, 10 years ago. So like in the early two thousands, um, blogs were sort of, this vehicle for getting, for information dissemination of people through non-mainstream outlets. You know, so you have a bunch of people, uh, we went from big media to social media, where everybody has kind of a microphone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, there's, there's pros to that, and there's cons to that, I think. Um, but blogging was that engine in the 2000s. Um, in the 2010s, it really became podcasting. And it's one of the reasons why I just, even though I love blogging and I probably like writing as much or more than anything else. Um, and I'm hoping to eventually push that into like the book realm and everything. Cause I don't think books are going to go away. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, the idea that like very clearly it's like every article you read online now has a video above it. Right. Uh, so if, it doesn't matter what you go to Yahoo or a news site or something like that, you can read the content and then there's something right above it that's, a video content, usually have the same thing. And we're in a transition period right now. And so blogging for me was that thing in the 2000s to like 2018 where I thought, you know, this is good. and I still like that outlet. But in the past year or two, I've shifted more into, so I do an online Bible study um, with my wife right now uh, called Two Steps Forward. It's on YouTube. Um, We started it right during COVID. It's on, uh, if you just go to St. Marcus Lutheran Church. Uh, But what we've done is we've taken a book, a chapter of the Bible every day. And what we do is we do, we put it in modern terms, like take the text, put it in modern terms, summary, and then we take three like devotional thoughts out of it. And it's like there it's, okay, what is the principle here and how do you apply it to modern society? How do you apply it to our lives today and culture? So, um, but I, you know, I brought my wife in to do it too, because uh, I wanted somebody I wanted somebody who wasn't just, it wasn't just like an academic exercise of me, you know, whatever. It was somebody who was pushing back on like pastor talk, you All know, right. and made it a little bit more real. And uh, that's gone really well, but I'm the same way with podcasts. I think probably three, four years ago, I started listening more intensely to podcasts and then it was like, I listened to podcasts nonstop. Yeah. Like it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate multitasking <laughs> learning Adventure, right? Well, I yeah. guess so. Everywhere you drive, uh, every time I'm working out, every everything, I'm always listening to podcasts. And so I think it's a great space for Christians to continue to move into. Awesome. I love it.
0: Um as we finish out here, get asked the big questions we ask every guest. Um, what does it mean yeah. to be a man? What makes a Christian man? <laughs>
1: <sighs> yeah, it's it is a great question. Um and let me just say, like, I think, I think a podcast specifically uh, encouraging godly men is a great thing. Um, I, at various points in my ministry, one of the things that I started out doing was every year to develop, like, a leadership pipeline for the church. I said, one of the things I'm going to invest my time in is I'm going to take 10 to 12 guys who I think are, you know, between 18 and 40, 45 or so, that I think have leadership capacity for the future of the church And I'm going to try to do some like intentional discipling. And um, the things I I basically would meet with him for an hour every month. And the conversations that I developed were, okay, let's, these are conversations that we'll have that my dad never had with me, but he probably should have. And so we talked about uh, personal finances. We talked about sex. We talked about devotional life. We talked about physical health um we talked you know all sorts of stuff like that um and you know it was basically things related to i thought what what does it mean to be a godly man and i think it means to say okay uh my righteousness is fully in christ i'm a sinner saved only by grace but not only has jesus saved me but he his grace not only saves me but it empowers me and it empowers me to do everything necessary on my plate And the plate, like the spot and role in life that God has called me to is a leadership one. Because every, it's just the way God designed man and woman to be. Um, It's not a better or worse thing. It's not a talent or not talent thing. But more men are going to have more leadership roles by God's design. You know, that's after the fall into sin. Uh, Eve is the first one that sins. But when God comes and confronts them in Genesis 3, who does he talk to first? Adam. You know, why? Because I put you in charge. I made you ahead and you failed and you failed her too. And so it's like, okay, it's godly men are ones that don't avoid responsibility, but embrace the responsibility, understanding that they make mistakes are nonetheless forgiven and perfect in Christ and are empowered by the spirit of Christ to do everything necessary to lead that's on their plate, you know? So that's a long, that's a lawn drawn out uh, definition, that but sorry, I don't have a better. No, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's great.
0: That's why I keep asking everybody is because everybody says it a little, they basically say the same thing, but everybody says it a little differently and thinks yeah. about it from a little different perspective. Um, and the, the hope being sure. that, you know, if you listen to enough episodes, you'll find somebody who says, who says it the way you're thinking it or, or really speaks to you and, and, uh, kind of sees it from your perspective. I love it. Well, uh, really happy to have you on pastor. Where can we find your content?
1: Yeah. So uh, again, both the the blogging content, which I have probably, I think 250, 300 posts of like major cultural issues on uh, going back for the past 10 years is just pastorjameshine.wordpress.com. Or you can go if you want like uh, content for um, all sorts of study stuff, small group Bible studies, uh, catechism stuff, sermons, all that you can go to uh, Pastor James Hine Content dot Pastor James Content com, or the place where you can find most of my materials today is just at our St. Marcus YouTube page, which is just St. Marcus Lutheran Church. And you can also get all of our, uh, both my Two Steps Forward daily Bible study, um, or the all of our sermons, the sermon archive, at our website, stmarcus.org. And there you can get. Stuff through iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and all that. Awesome! I just thought of one more thing I want to ask you before we head out here.
0: Um, both Juan and I are, are future mm-hmm. pastors here. Um, what do you have any mm-hmm. uh, words for young men studying to be pastors, especially in this day and age?
1: Oh, yeah. What? What? Yeah, I know I'm, I'm really to putting you in the spot available. here, but <laughs> 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 no, I don't underestimate the impact of godly men. Um, I remember reading a study once that said that eight of the 10 most influential atheists of the past two, 200 years were guys that either did not know their father or did not have any kind of relationship, like a uh, healthy relationship with their father. You know, it was maybe abusive or or whatever. And um, it's just, it's so uh, statistically likely that, um, not having a godly male role model in your life, whether that's a pastor, whether it's an uncle or a father or a grandfather or whatever, it's like the way men tend to take that out the way is they get angry about it and they get angry at God. And, um, I don't know, you know, like that's a conversation to have with each, each guy who is sort of taking that out on God, I think, but nonetheless, it, continues to tie into for me the importance of godly men and honestly that's part of the reasons why I, like strategically I target them for ministry because I again this is just God's design and and don't you know shoot the messenger but the if you get a bunch of men in your church godly men you'll have a bunch of godly women in your church and a b- bunch of godly kids in your church if you get a bunch of godly women in your church you might not necessarily get a bunch of godly men in your church, you know? Um, So aim for godly men to be pastors in their own homes and um, leaders in their society and leaders in their church. And all of the other stuff will sort of like fall into place. If there's one thing that I could have more of in my church, I would just say more godly men, because I know by God's design and the way he's developed families and society and stuff like that, all the other stuff falls into place then.
0: Awesome. Laying down truth, man. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, do you Would you like to share your social yeah. media at all?
1: Uh, yeah, again, you can just go. The easiest place to find me is, uh, so you can look me up on Twitter too, although I'm not super active there right now. Uh, it's just Pastor James Hine, Um And then on the St. Marcus website uh, or St. Marcus YouTube, St. Marcus Lutheran Church. Awesome.
2: Juan, where can we find you? Uh, my Instagram account, my personal one is, uh, Juanda Escobar. Uh, and then my fresh faith account, which is my Christian one, just underscore fresh faith underscore. Awesome. And
0: you can find me at, uh, on Instagram at gird up underscore B underscore a underscore man. I was wrong for like three years. Yeah. I told everybody the wrong one <laughs> handle, <laughs> but, but we got the right wrong. one now. We know it now. So you can find me, uh, find <laughs> us on Facebook. Just look up gird up. There's a community there as well that you can be a part of. Um, and you can find us on YouTube, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, all that good stuff, find us, and let us get to know you better. And there's new podcast gear out there. Juan's rocking his, if boys don't learn men won't know shirt right now. They're awesome. Um, there's also a Martin Luther bodybuilder shirt, which I think is awesome. I wanted to call it the night George shirt. (laughs) I like to believe that martin luther spent his time as night george just working out all the time and translating and stuff but mostly working out um and then there's one uh that lays down paul's guidelines for young men um and there's like oh man i just find a way to get involved be a part of it and uh you know get in touch with us thank you again pastor hein yeah my pleasure thank you guys keep up the great work awesome go be the man that god created you to be Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, under the Gird Up podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created
2: you to be.